Okay. I'd like to, st- to start, I would like to read some scripture verses that relate to tonight's topic before we go to prayer. Um, Jude 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Colossians 2, 8 through 10, and we're familiar with this. We've been, Bob's been going over this, and it's been a wonderful study, by the way, the the Colossians. um, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 2 Corinthians 11.4 For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And finally, 1 Corinthians 16.13 Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the salvation he purchased for us. We thank you for your glorious gospel. Lord, we ask that you give us wisdom and understanding as we confront the Roman Catholic system with the truth found in your word. Give us love and compassion as well as boldness and courage as we look into these things. Your word says, the fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Help us to trust in you and your promises. To you be all glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before going any further, I just want to thank everyone here and and Bob and Eric for for giving me this opportunity. The gospel and comparing the truths of Scripture with what I came out of in the Roman Catholic system has been my, really, my primary occupation in in my mind for for years. so I, so I, it's just kind of uh, one of those things that has just been just, you know, something that I'm preoccupied with. And so I apologize if my thoughts seem sometimes jumbled, um, but there's a lot of material in my mind, and sometimes this brain, my brain <laughs> has a hard time organizing it. But um, um, Sean, Peter, and I did a presentation back in October, and we didn't get through all the PowerPoint um, so my intention was to pick up where we left off, but I changed those plans, and I decided to start from the beginning. So I'll try to keep this going so we can get to the end of it by 8 o'clock. So it's going to be, you know, I'm going to try to go as fast as I can. Um, just some questions I, I, I ask myself and I bring up to you uh, here is, why are we doing this? And a few reasons I've, I wrote down here is to clarify what the gospel is and why it's important. Paul Washer, who's a, uh, a wonderful preacher, says, quote, the gospel of, of 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest of all treasures given to the church and the individual Christian. It is not a message among many, but the message above them all. It is the power of God for salvation and the greatest revelation of the manifold wisdom of God to men and angels." Unquote. We are to be stewards and protectors and proclaimers of the gospel. The second bullet I have here is to be, uh, why are we doing this, is to be about the Lord's Great Commission. Um, again, Paul Washer says, the Great Commission is not just sending missionaries, but about sending God's truth through missionaries. I think there's a lot of people sent out to proclaim things, but it's not the gospel. And I'm so, so thankful for this church that they preach the gospel, and, and hopefully we as missionaries into our neighborhoods and families um, learn from what Bob and Eric and, and everyone else in this fellowship stress, and that's the gospel. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, another uh, reason we're doing this is to fight against all high and lofty ideologies of this age and to stand firm in Christ and him alone. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6, 6 verse 12. Another reason is because we love him who first loved us, who rescued us out of darkness and into his <clears throat> marvelous light. Um, Another big reason is because we love Roman Catholics and we want them to be free of non-authoritative human lawgivers and come to Christ for full forgiveness and eternal life. Another reason I, I don't have on the, on the screen there is, um, is really for the sake of those who have gone before us, especially those who have fought for the truth of the gospel. John MacArthur states, quote, Are we going to betray the martyrs? Are we going to betray the history of our faith? Are we going to betray the Tyndales and the Luthers? Calvin and all the rest? Are we so senseless? Are we so blind? Are we so ignorant? Are we so faithless? Are we so cowardly? The doctrinal ignorance of the evangelical church is shocking, matched only by its cowardice. This is a, a sermon he did back uh, after Pope John Paul II had passed away, and uh, evangelicals, in quotations, were, were rushing to... Um, uh, and I, I somewhat remember this. They were rushing to to give all these platitudes to the, the papal system and to all of this. And it was very, for those of us who love the gospel, it was very offensive. Um, so MacArthur had, if you ever have a chance, go listen to that. The Pope and the Papacy, it's on GTY, GTY's uh, website. Sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I think of all the great teaching we've been blessed to receive here at Gospel of Grace Fellowship through Bob and Eric. What a great gift the Lord has given us with these men. We talked about that a little bit last week, um, you know, how the Lord um, blesses us as a fellowship, and it's through the, the people that teach us. And, and I'm thinking of Bob and Eric, and it's, it's really a blessing on how much work that those guys do to get give us what we have, so I'm, I'm so very grateful for that. Um, the truths we receive each week didn't just fall down into their laps. A lot of hard work searching the scriptures and the scholars that have gone on before us, as well as the current commentaries. It's all been overwhelming, and thanks to both of you very much. 
Um, so, MacArthur gets us started here, the battle for the truth. If the truth cannot be fearlessly proclaimed in the church, what place is there for truth at all? How can we build a generation of discerning Christians if we are terror-struck at the thought that non-Christians might not like hearing the unvarnished truth? Uh, the Roman Catholic Church is historically identified with Christianity because it upholds the deity of Christ, the triune God, the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection, and return of Christ to the earth. However, it opposes justification by faith alone, condemns anyone who believes it, denies Christ's work of redemption is finished, and his atonement is not sufficient. That is a different gospel that doesn't save, and it needs to be exposed and, you know, we have to be bold enough to say, you know, if we're, if we're at the right opportunity to do so, we have to be able to say, this is not the gospel. <clears throat> Most Catholics are not, you know, what's the motivation of Catholics? Most Catholics are not deceiving people with malicious intent. They are passing on what has been taught to them, believing that it is the truth. They have a zeal for God, but it is not based on biblical knowledge. Romans 10, verse 2. Prayer, love, compassion, and understanding are needed along with the power of the Word of God to pen penetrate their hearts. Patience is needed to untangle Roman Catholics from the dogmatic web in which they are held captive. I also have a, um, a little thing from Mike Gendron that I just wanted to read. Um, Many of the 70 million plus Catholics in America were born into their religion and have never, have never examined their faith through the lens of Scripture. From infancy, they are taught that salvation comes through their church as they merit saving grace through the sacraments and perform rituals, religious rituals and good works to be justified and re-justified. Roman Catholicism is often called the plus religion because of what it has added to the gospel of grace. Catholic salvation is based on Jesus plus Mary, faith plus works, grace plus merit, scripture plus tradition, and the blood of Jesus plus purgatory. Catholics do not know that any addition to the, to the gospel is the denial of the sufficiency of Christ. And this church has been going over this, you know, in a, in a wonderful, wonderful way, the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is all we need. Any addition to the gospel also nullifies the saving grace of God, which is the only means by which God saves sinners. Catholics who are victims of this deception need to be evangelized with the, God, the true gospel of grace. As we witness to Catholics, we must persevere with patience to untangle the sticky web of religious indoctrination that holds them captive. We must follow the instructions of Paul and not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil and correcting opponents with gentleness. We must pray for God to grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the, the snare of the devil who holds them captive, captive to do his will. That's Second uh, Timothy 2, 24 through 26. So that was from Mike Gendron. Brief history of the of Catholicism. Um, you know, you talk to a Roman Catholic, and I, you know, I I was part of the Catholic system for over forty years, so um, I know this fairly well. Fairly well, they trace its history to the Church. Thank you, uh, founded by Christ all the way back to Peter, of course. You know, in the the Matthew sixteen eighteen. We won't get into that. We could. 
a lot of these things we could spend hours talking about, um, but we'll just briefly go over that. So that's, that's the verse where, you know, um, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. So they claim that Peter was the first pope. Um, in the fourth century, century, Constantine unified the Roman Empire, declared, him, declared himself vicar of Christ. Um, exalted tradition above scripture and condemned opponents. By the 12th century, Roman Catholicism was the world's most powerful institution. It set up and disposed um, kings and queens, taxed people mercilessly, confiscated property, the Pope's crusading armies killed heretics, Muslims, and anyone who rejected papal supremacy. It kind of reminds me of a group today. Um, I mean, I'm not saying the Catholics do that today, but this is, this is the mindset that they had when they were in power. They crushed anyone that opposed them. And it's, it's a pretty gruesome history when you read it. Um, uh, again, they lose their, their status after the Reformation in the 16th century. Now, after the, okay, the Haiti of Roman Catholicism was definitely during the Middle Ages prior to the Reformation. Um, I want to read you an extended quote, and I'm sorry to do this, but this is John Robbins. Um, it's a book called, I've kind of worn it out, but it's a, it's a book called Ecclesiastical Megalomania. And basically what it is, it's the economic and political thought of the Roman Catholic Church. And it's, um, it's got a lot of wonderful sections in it, but in his introduction, um, he talks a little bit about what life was like, you know, what supposedly life was like um, when Rome was in power during the Middle Ages. Um, okay. Um, for a thousand years and more, because of the Roman church state's doctrines that salvation was a result of cooperation between the sinner and God and the saving grace of God was infused into the souls of men, men had been preoccupied, obsessed in many cases, with doing the good works prescribed by the sole dispensers of their salvation, the bishops and priests of the Roman church state hierarchy. Their gifts to the church state made it the largest property owner in Europe, in the Middle Ages. They also gave gifts to the poor, including mendicant friars and other religious. The devout made pilgrimages to shrines, venerated relics, performed penance, and so forth. The enormous wealth that had been wasted on such activities was, after the Reformation in Protestant countries, available for, for and invested in all sorts of improvements in education, homes, farm shops, manufacturers, transportation, and schools. Roman Catholic good works were accompanied by a religious introspection that became more and more obsessive as the believer's devotion to the church state increased. The more devout and intelligent were enjoined to become religious, monks, priests, and nuns, to devote themselves entirely to religious callings so that they could earn their salvation more quickly in the service of the church state, free of the worldly cares of family, friends, and earning a living. <clears throat> The religious were in the state of grace. The secular were in the state of nature. The religious belonged to a higher church, the secular to a lower. Those with secular occupations went, would get to heaven only after great struggle and millions of years in purgatory. Those who were religious avoided a lot of difficulty both in this world and the next. Since God's saving grace in Roman Catholic theology was actually infused into the heart of the Catholic by means of the sacraments, 
devout Catholics search their hearts for evidence of this gratia infusa, Latin term there, and Europe was drowned in a flood of internal religious subjectiv subjectivism on the one hand and re external religious idolatry on the other, both of which effectively precluded economic initiative and social improvement for a millennium. So life was, uh, you know, the more religious, the more, the more things you did for the church, the better off you were uh, in standing and getting, um, getting to heaven quicker. So um, we're going to go real quick through these Catholic, common Catholic terms. Actually, let me just see here. Oh, I was going to say the last part of this was the new strategy to unite, to unite all religions through common moral values. Um, as you know, the, the papacy right now is, is very ecumenical, and it's been that way for, for years. And again, this is because Rome is not really, um, they have their church state, you know, the, uh, the Vatican and, and things like that. But um, because they're not, they don't have the power they did before the Reformation, the way they're trying to draw people back into the church is through ecumenical endeavors. So you can see that all over the place. I mean, the Pope goes to Sri Lanka. He goes to, you know, all these different countries. He, Pope John Paul II would kiss the Quran. And, and it, you know, there's, there's this ecumenical push to get everybody. Um, and it, to me, there's, there's a lot of uh, prophecy in that, in, the, in this one world religion that's being set up. Um, I've got articles here that, you know, this is, the Pope goes to like Manila and he, he you know, he has um, millions of people come and six million people reportedly were at the, the last mass that he did. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he's worshiped, you know, and I, there's no other way to put it. It's just, uh, you know, not by everyone, but, but he is uh, definitely uh, a leader to be careful of. He seems like a very nice man. He kind of reminds me of my grandpa. Um, you know, just a nice, sweet gentleman. But anybody that takes the title Holy Father, watch out. So, um, okay, here's these terms. We're going to go through these rather fast. Apocrypha, uh, the apparitions. They're coming more and more to the apparitions of Mary. They're, um, well, this is the Roman Catholic Mary. This is not the Mary of Scripture, but um, uh, it's just, it's, it's rather disturbing when you go to YouTube and watch some of these uh, old clips of some of the people that have had apparitions. It's, uh, it really looks like demon possession. Um, uh, the Eucharist, we'll talk more about that. Uh, indulgences, we'll get into that later. Uh, infallible teachings. Uh, again, we'll talk about that. The Mass is very important in the Catholic system. Mortal sin, they, they kind of classify their sins into mortal and, and then venials coming up. Uh, penance. You can, again, refer to your, uh, to your handout to get those terms. Purgatory. Rosary. Uh, sacraments. And finally, the venial sins. There's lots of other terms. These are just some of the some of the ones I put on there. Um, 
Now the question to ask is, what would you do if you found out many of the teachings of Roman Catholicism stand opposed to the Bible? Would you choose to believe the word of God or the words of men? It's impossible to believe both. Now, these are serious questions that, need to, that we need to grapple with. In Bob's sermon, which he did back on December 28th, entitled, Beware of Human Tradition, Bob said, quote, when Satan comes to deceive people, he gives them things that sound good. They may even sound reasonable. Later, Bob says, this, this Colossians 2.8, is in our Bible because God wants us to understand it so that we can be saved from these things that would draw us away from Christ. We have to be aware of things that are not according to Christ. And again, thankful for Bob and, and all the, the messages we get from Bob and Eric uh, that direct us to Christ and him alone. <clears throat> Authority. The, uh, what's going to follow now is a lot of contrast. What the Bible says and what Catholicism says about different topics. Um, the Bible teaches Scripture has authority over the church. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, the Catholicism teaches the church has authority over scriptures. The manner of interpreting is ultimately subject to the judgment of the church, to the pope, and to the bishops. Now, these numbers... Yeah. For those that didn't, aren't recovering Catholics, mm -hmm. do you, real quick, you want to explain... Um, the numbers? The catechism yeah. and then those numbers. Right, right. That's Thank you. Yeah, this, I just brought a little copy. This is really kind of hard to read, but this is the, a copy of the catechism of the church. And those numbers you see, like 100 and 119, that's just referencing. You can easily find out what that, you know, 100 is. It talks about the subject we're, we're on. And so it's very easy to find things in Catholic catechism because they, they categorize things with those numbers. So... You'll see those going forward. Um, I, I read a, I'm reading a book of James Montgomery Boyce uh, that's uh, Whatever Happened to the Gospel of Grace. Uh, and James says, quote, In Martin Luther's day, Sola Scriptura had to do with the Bible being the sole ultimate authority for the Christians over against challenges to it from the traditions of the medieval church, church councils, and the Pope. The Reformers wanted Scripture to stand alone as the church's true authority. And, unquote. and we have to stick with that principle of Sola Scriptura. And again, this church has stressed that. We can't, we can't be going off on these bunny trails and, and having you know, th things that so are, are binding on us without scriptural backing. I mean, it's got to be, Scripture has got to be the ultimate authority that we have to turn to. Um, the late Ken Silva wrote this. Quote, one of the basic differences between Catholics and Protestants is over whether the Bible alone is sufficient is the sufficient and final authority for faith and practice, or the Bible plus extra biblical apostolic tradition. Catholics further insist that there is a need for a teaching magisterium, in other words, the Pope and their bishops, to rule on a just on just what is and is not authentic apostolic tradition whether or not extra-biblical extra apostolic tradition is considered a second source of revelation. There is no question that the Roman Catholic Church holds that apostolic tradition is both authoritative and infallible. And the Council of Trent emphatically proclaimed that the Bible alone is not sufficient for faith and morals. If you're not familiar, the Council of Trent was a council set up after the Reformation 
to really clearly define where the, where the Catholic Church stands in regards to what happened during the Reformation. And it's a very revealing council because it really shows um, where Rome is and how dangerous, dangerous it is because it really anathemizes anyone that believes the gospel. So, um, anyway, let's, uh, you know, and, and if anyone is in doubt about the sufficiency and authority of Scripture, you know, start reading, go to Psalm 119. That's a good place to start. But um, there's a lot of other things in Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. Scripture is, is sufficient, so we don't have to go elsewhere. Okay, uh, justification. Again, let's, there's the contrast. The Bible teaches man is justified once by faith because justification provides a permanent right standing before God and results in glorification. To the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Hallelujah. Catholicism teaches man is to be justified repeatedly by sacraments and works because he loses grace of justification each time a mortal sin is committed. The sacrament of penance offers a new possibility to convert and to recover the grace of justification. Again, that's uh, Catechism 1446. Regeneration. The contrast here. The Bible teaches man is regenerated at the baptism of the Spirit. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. 1 Corinthians 12:13. From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Catholicism, on the other hand, teaches baptism of water is the sacrament of regeneration. The water of baptism truly signifies our birth into the divine life. I have eight grandkids, and, and all of the kids, uh, all of my four children um, are still in the Catholic system. And uh, it, we've had this... Yeah, we've had many debates about many things, and uh, one of them is infant baptism. And I know, Bob, you did a wonderful, you and Eric did, uh, I can't remember how long ago that was, but uh, some, some studies on infant baptism. And uh, it really is, it's one of those traditions that not only the Catholics do, but there's other, you know, denominations in the evangelical world or in the Protestant world that, uh, that do the same thing. But um, the thing about, you know, in the catechism, it talks about um, how, in fact, let me read real quick. It's not a long quote. I'll, I'll be quick on this one. Um, yeah, the, this, is, this is actually... Um, uh, Richard Bennett is another wonderful gentleman that I've, I've read a lot of. He's a former Catholic priest. He came out of Catholicism. Uh, I think he was in 23 years as a priest, and he's Irish, and I, I really like Richard. He's, a, he's an older gentleman, and, and I'd love to meet him someday, but he's, uh, he's, he's written a lot, and he's got a great website called BereanBeacon.org, and it's got a lot of articles and different things, and if you're a former Catholic, it's a great resource. But anyways, on, uh, I'll just read real quick what he says. Um, uh, baptism, the, this is a, from the 
code of canon law, canon 849, baptism, the gate to the sacraments, necessary for salvation by actual reception, or at least by desire, is validly conferred only by a washing of true water with the proper form of words. Through baptism, men and women are freed from sin, are reborn as children of God, and configured to Christ by an indelible character, and they're incorporated into the Catholic Church. Um, the thing about the infant baptism is in the, in the catechism, let's see, this would be uh, catechism par uh, paragraph 1250, the sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in infant baptism. The church and the parents would deny a child the priceless grace of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after birth. So the thing is, it's... it's they, they want to get their kids baptized as soon as possible, especially the ones that are real, the, the true Catholics, um, you know, the ones that, that read, actually read the catechism and they actually, you know, understand um, the things in the catechism. It's, you know, you don't wait for months to get your kid baptized because what if he dies, you know, what's going to happen to him? He might not go to heaven, you know. So there's, there's that rush to do that ceremony, and that's, that's his ticket to heaven. So... And it's also true with adults. I mean, when, it, when adults enter Catholicism, that right, actually, by doing that right, they're forgiven of all sins at that moment. I mean, it's, it's in the Catechism, too. Um, it says here, uh, the appeal for adults is even greater. Not only is the new life of God promised, but also an assurance is given of the forgiveness of, forgiveness of all sins. The words guaranteeing this are in the catechism. Quote, by baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. And that's uh, paragraph 1263. So that's the ticket. All you got to do is get baptized and you're, you're yes. seems to me like it's very contradictory in that you can have these things that like poof save you yet over here you got to run over and do your works mm -hmm. and it's like it's a contradictory thought process no you know why i'm so tired <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's a contradiction you know that's what happens when the truth when it's the truth it all flows but when it's not the truth you have to work it out and there's all sorts of different roads you got to take and yeah so I understand what you're saying um, the Bible teaches man is saved this salvation now is saved by God's unmerited grace for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast Ephesians 2 8 and 9 now, Catholicism teaches man is saved by meriting the graces needed for salvation we can merit for ourselves and others the graces needed for the attainment of eternal life. The Bible, uh, again, for salvation, the Bible teaches man is saved for good works. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Catholicism teaches man is saved by good works. In this way, they obtain their own salvation and cooperate in saving their brothers. The Bible teaches man is saved for all eternity. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Catholicism teaches man is saved only until the next mortal sin is committed. Those who die in a state of mortal sin descend into hell. Paragraph 1035. The Bible teaches salvation is offered to those outside the church. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us be reconciled to God. That's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Catholicism teaches salvation is offered through the church. That's the, that's the thing that's really a, um, a slave. It's, it's like you have to be in the church in order to be saved. And it, it teaches that. It basing itself on scripture and tradition, the church is necessary for salvation. Anyone refusing to enter it or remain in it cannot be saved. Talk about guilt. <laughs> guilt yeah. Um, the Bible teaches that all sins are purified by the blood of Jesus. Catholicism teaches some sins are purified in the fires of purgatory. They undergo purification in purgatory so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Now, God's word leaves absolutely no possibility for sin to be purged away by anything other than the blood of Jesus. Um, I want to read you. Uh, this is from Mike Gendron, page 130. Um, Catholics who believe in purgatory need to be asked, who is in charge of releasing souls from the purging fire? It cannot be God because of his promises or his promise to believers. Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. That's Hebrews 10:17. And after conversion, God no longer counts sins against his children. 2 Corinthians 5:19. Purgatory is a travesty on the justice of God and a disgraceful fabrication that robs Christ Jesus of his glory and honor. He alone satisfied divine justice once and for all by the perfect and finished sacrifice of himself. The fatal deception of purgatory blinds Catholics from the glorious gospel of grace. It is one of Satan's many lies that keep, keep his captives from knowing and trusting the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It is Christ alone who will present us faultless before the presence of his glory. I just remember, you know, my, when my dad passed away about five years ago, you know, it was a big Catholic funeral. I, I do believe my dad came out of the, of the system before he died, but um, we had many, many nice Bible uh, times uh, before he passed away. But I just remember getting these cards, you know, from people of, you know, we're going to be offering a Mass for him, you know, and all these things to try to make sure my dad got out of purgatory faster, you know, all these different, different holy cards and different stuff, and it's just like... You know, it's it was it's just sad. Um, you know how 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 this system just takes hold of people. Um, okay, saints and priests. The Bible teaches that man becomes a saint when the Spirit baptizes him into the body of Christ. Ephesians four eleven and twelve. Catholicism teaches man becomes a saint only if the Pope canonizes him. Isn't that special? This occurs when he solemnly proclaims that they practiced a heroic virtue and lived in fidelity to God's grace. <laughs> uh, the Bible teaches every Christian is a priest and a member of the royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. Catholicism teaches every man needs a priest for salvation. That's why it's so, you know, all these things that go on with the priest and, you know, now the archdiocese filed bankruptcy because of 
pedophile priests. And it's just, um, I, I did experience this. I, we, didn't, we never had any kind of pedophile issues or anything like this, but we experienced some issues, ethical issues with priests over the, over the years. Unlike, you know, all of us are sinners and we all can, can fall, but what happens with the priesthood is that the higher-ups have their back all the time. And, and you try to go to, you know, we even sat down on an issue, and I won't get into it. It, was just a, it wasn't really even, I look back at it, it wasn't even that big of a deal, but we went and talked to the archbishop at the time. I forget his name off the top of my head, but uh, he... Um, he, you know, he heard our concerns and, you know, he said we were right and correct and all this stuff and, and nothing ever got done. I mean, and this happened time and time again with different things. And it's like, I, I, and in the church that we had gone to, there, the, the guy that was there was, and he's still there, but he's just really um, not fit to be running a parish is what it was. And, and uh, just ethically and different things, he was just not, not good. But... Um, you know the elders; they have elder. They call them trustees at the at the parishes, and they did not want to get rid of this guy because they were afraid if they if they got rid of the priest, there'd be no priest there. What do they do? We'll have a we'll have this excuse me this crappy priest. <laughs> as long as we have a crappy priest, we're okay. You know, I mean, we can we can get all the sacraments and all that kind of stuff, and that's that's what they're concerned about is the sacraments. You know, so it's it's just. It's really sad, and and, um, and the saint thing. This, you know, the, when the Pope goes and declares somebody a saint, that's really bothered me over the years. And I love Bob's famous line. It's famous now, Bob. There, there are no extraordinary Christians, but being an ordinary Christian is an extraordinary thing. And that's uh, something. Maybe we should send that to the Pope and see what he, <laughs> see what he says. Um, if anyone's interested, I won't read it, but this is just a one-sheet little thing on, on the canonization process. I mean, I'm sure it's much more complicated than this, but this is kind of a, a summary of what they have to do. And I know that, uh, you know, Pope John, or I should say Saint, uh, what do they call him now, uh, the Pope John Paul II, they call him Blessed Saint, uh, I, oh, you got to have the word great in there too, Blessed Great John Paul II or something like that, but uh, <laughs> something happened with him where he, uh, you know, after he died, a lady was cured of some disease supposedly by touching one of his garments, or I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's like that's, that was his ticket to get the sainthood, so I just, I find that pretty funny. Uh, the Lord's Supper. This is a big issue um, in Catholicism. The Bible teaches the Lord's Supper is a memorial. Do this in remembrance of me. And I, 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 I don't know if all, all you guys were there when Eric did his sermon on the Lord's Supper out of Mark. That was wonderful. I really enjoyed that. That helped me a lot, the, you know, where Christ is the Passover lamb, and he goes back to Exodus and, and goes over all of that. That was just a wonderful uh, sermon for me. But uh, Catholicism teaches the Lord's Supper is a sacrifice. The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and offered in an unbloody manner. 1374 to 78. Again, the Bible teaches that the believers receive Jesus once spiritually in the heart. God put his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
Catholicism teaches Catholics receive Jesus physically frequently in the stomach. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ is truly, really, and substantially contained in the Eucharist. I mean, that's why they're bowing down to it. You know, if you go into a Catholic church, you'll see people before they go into the, the pews there, they'll genuflect or, you know, or bow down or what. Yes? I kind of have two, but one of them is... Well, I, now I think it's, it's, you know, it's offered. It's offered to, to the people, but uh, why they don't take it, I don't know. I, would you want to be drinking? I mean, it's, they use one chalice usually and... Probably for germ's sake, they don't they don't do the wine. I don't know. They don't have individual little cups like, you know. But it's it's out out of one chalice usually. Or they if it's a big church, they'll have all sorts of Eucharistic ministers that dispense those kind of things. But yeah, it's been offered for as long as I can remember, you know, or at least maybe since I was a teenager. I don't re- I know before it was just the bread that they they didn't they didn't offer the the wine, but. Um, okay, condemnation. The Bible condemns anyone who perverts the gospel, including the Roman Catholic clergy. If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Catholicism condemns with over, with over 100 anathemas those who believe the Bible instead of the canons of the Council of Trent. Condemnations are still in effect today. So that's an interesting read because, you know, the ecumenical focus of the church now, they'll never bring that up. They'll never bring up the Council of Trent. You, you won't. Very rare. I have uh, someone dear to me that, that does go to a, uh, uh, it's a Pius X, Society of Pius X, and that is a very, Basically, that's a Council of Trent. I think they call and they call the mass that they celebrate the Trident, Tridentine Mass, and it's it's really, if you want to see idolatry, that one is really something where um, they have you know all the bells and whistles and all the incense and the, the I mean, and everything's in Latin. You can't understand you know anything, but they they do have a a little missalette that'll give you the translation. But uh, but that was about nine years ago I was there, and I've never, st- you know, my son got married in that church, um, and it was a, I was a believer back then, and it was very, very painful. I, I didn't go to, I didn't go to communion, didn't partake, I didn't bow down to anybody, but it was just very painful for me to, to be there, and it was just, you know, anyway, it's, it's yeah, it was bad. <laughs> Um, okay, the doctrine of Jesus, the Savior. The Bible says he saved us not because of any righteous deeds we have done, but because of his mercy. Amen. Catholicism teaches that by his death and resurrection, Jesus has opened heaven to us. So Jesus opens the door for us. Now we got to do the, you know, we got to do a lot, little more, you know, some more stuff to, to get in there. Each person obtains his own salvation by grace and good works. So again, Jesus plus, it's a Jesus plus religion. I like, John MacArthur has this, you know, this is probably not original with him. It's just a f- real quick phrase. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I, li- I like that. He, he's got a sermon. I think it's from his uh, sermons on Colossians. He, um, Jesus, we need nothing else but him. So, amen. Um, 
the doctrine of Jesus, again, the sinless redeemer, the, the Bible says, for you know it was not with perishable things that you are redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 18. Uh, Catholicism teaches that Mary is the sinless co-redeemer. Without a single sin to restrain her, she gave herself entirely to the person and work of her son. She did so in order to serve the mystery of redemption with him. Being obedient, she became the cause of salvation for herself and the whole human race. Wow, that's a <laughs> yikes. That's a good way to put it. That's a scary thought. Um, I mean, there's so much we could talk about with Mary, the, the Roman Catholic Mary, that we, we won't even touch on that hardly. But uh, again, the, the doctrine of Jesus, our advocate and only mediator. The Bible says God is one. One also is the mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5 and 1 John 2.1. Catholicism teaches that Mary did not lay aside her saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. She is advocate and mediatrix. Now, I've, I've not looked into this too much, but if you guys read the story in Genesis 3.15 about how you know where, uh, in fact, let me, let me read it. Okay. Um, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the uh, New American Standard Version. But even in the catechism, they have that same version, or it's not... not not, not this version, but it's called the, um, uh, they use in the catechism, it's the um, revised standard version of the Bible. Now, what I found interesting is that if you go to ch a lot of Catholic churches around town or, you know, around the world, you'll, a lot of times you'll see, you know, lots of statues, but the statue of Mary, uh, a popular one, is one with, she's got this, uh, these 12 stars and, a, and a, 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 some kind of a, a thing in her head. But then you look down and she's crushing the serpent's head. And, and I, I find that because the catechism says that he shall crush her head. But I think it goes back to the Dewey Rames version. It's a Latin version of the Bible that was used years and years ago where they, they, they had the verse wrong. They had she will crush his head. And so all these statues continue to be out there with Mary crushing the serpent's head. And I think that, that speaks volumes. The, the, the catechism says it's he, but the statues show she's the one crushing the head. And that to me is a big deal. I don't know if it's a big deal to other people, but it's like, and you ask them about it and they go, oh, I don't know. Those things are too expensive. We're not going to replace that uh, statue. <laughs> yeah. The Roman Catholic Mary is a huge subject, and she's revered and actually worshipped by millions around the world. The popes in their travels make a special point to visit shrines set up all over the world. It's very offensive to watch. You know, if the, if the real Mary knew what was happening, she'd be really, she'd be really devastated. But she, my understanding is the mortals that go to heaven, they don't know what's going on down here by the grace of God. I don't know. I can't, I'm not sure if that's biblical or not, but I can't imagine that they would be 
seen things that would grieve them because that there's there's no grief in heaven as far as I know. Um, but uh, anyways, and then we talked a little bit about the apparitions. Um, they're very disturbing and they seem to be increasing. I think satanic activity is increasing. So the doctrine of Jesus, he expiates our sin. The Bible says through his blood, God made him the means of expiation for all who believe. Romans 3.25, Catholicism teaches that sins are expiated in purgatory through a cleansing fire and that we must accept this temporal punishment of sin as a grace. Uh, the Bible, the doctrine of Jesus finished the work of redemption. The Bible, by one offering, he has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer daily sacrifices. Catholicism denies that it's finished. The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and offered in an unbloody manner. The sacrifice is offered in reparation for the sins of the living and the dead. Um, again, the doctrine of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection provided the only way to be saved. The Bible says there's no other salvation, there's no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name in the whole world given to men by which we are saved, Acts 4.12. Catholicism denies this by claiming the Catholic Church is necessary for salvation, and claiming the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator, and the first place amongst whom are the Muslims. I'm, I'm amazed at that statement because you're telling me that they acknowledge the Creator, so that means that's the same God that we worship? They worship a, a god of, I, I forget his name, but it's, it's not even, it's a sun god of some sort. It's not, not the god of scripture. Um, the doctrine of Jesus, his shed blood is the only remission for sins. The Bible, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Wait, did I just read that? Um, no, since, since these sins have been forgiven, there's no further offering for sin, Hebrews 10, 18. Catholicism teaches that indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven, which may be applied to the living or the dead. The Bible states that Jesus, when he had cleansed us from, his, from our sins, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Christ presents you to God holy, free of reproach and blame. Catholicism, Catholicism teaches that all who die in God's grace and friendship but still imperfectly purified undergo purification so as to, to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. This is a big, and I, I'll try to get through, we've got about eight more minutes, but um, the doctrine of Jesus as head of the church the Bible, he has put all things under Christ's feet and made him, thus exalted, head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Catholicism teaches that the Pope, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as the supreme pastor of the entire church, has full supreme and universal power, which he can also exercise unhindered. He exercises infallibility when he proclaims by a definitive act a doctrine pertaining to faith or morals. I want to read you real quick. Um, uh, something that MacArthur did back, um, it's called Jesus Christ, the head of the church. That was the name of the sermon. But it was a little, little clip about John Huss. John Huss was a pre-Reformation reformer before Luther's time. When Luther read the writings of John Huss, it helped to ignite the Reformation. 
MacArthur, um, he's got this excellent sermon entitled, uh, oh, I just said that, okay. Let me, I just wanna read a small clip of it. Um, the most important treatise that Huss ever wrote is called The Church. That was the name of the treatise. Um, it was read completely in public in Prague. It contained radical views. One, that the church was made up of all the predestined believers of all ages. During the time of Wycliffe and Huss, the official position of the church was that the true church consisted only of the pope, the cardinals, the bishops, and the priests, and that common lay people were not real members, but only communed with the true church as they received communion. That, that was interesting. And I've heard that before too, which was, by the way, then limited only to the bread. Two, in, two, in this same treatise on the church, he said that the authority of the Bible is higher than the authority of the church. By this, or this, by the way, was another radical idea in his day and, the, and, a, and an idea that he drew from Wycliffe. It's interesting that his words regarding the authority of Scripture were later repeated almost verbatim by Martin Luther. But the goose, which he was nicknamed, and I don't know the story of that. I've heard it before. I, for, I forget why he was called the goose. But the goose was cooked primarily because he said that Jesus Christ himself is the head of the church. And for that, it burned him at the stake. That's where that expression comes from, your goose is cooked. He also said, which didn't help, that the reprehensible lives of disqualified men made them unfit for positions of authority in ministry. <laughs> and he took a swipe at the whole system. Oh, shoot. Um, almost done with this quote here. So there you go. Um, he also, okay, and then uh, Huss believed Jesus was the head of the church and that reprobate men were disqualified from any, from any role of leadership whatsoever. In fact, he argued particularly that Christ alone is the head of the church and not the Pope, quote, who through ignorance and love of money is corrupt, unquote. To rebel against the Pope, he said, is to obey Christ as head and in a manner of speaking to lose your own head, that is. They burned him at the stake. That They didn't behead him, but the results are the same. <laughs> that was MacArthur. Um, <clears throat> so thank God for men like John Huss. And where are the men like that today? Uh, the doctrine of Jesus, the soon coming king. The Bible states that this same Jesus who has been taken away from you in heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go, go into heaven. Catholicism teaches that Jesus returns daily to the altars of Catholic churches to be worshipped. The body and blood and soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ is truly, really, and substantially contained in the Eucharist. Okay, we have we're, got a couple more slides here, but we have two different Gospels. We've explored that tonight. Um, and I think this chart kind of summarizes it pretty good. Um, the gospel of grace reveals Jesus, Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. The gospel of Rome is a religious system of sacraments, indulgences, purgatory, and prayers for the dead. Salvation in the gospel of grace is only through Christ. With Rome, it's through the Catholic Church. The gospel of grace says it's a gift of God's grace. But Rome says we have merited by doing good works. The gospel says it's by faith alone. Rome says it's by faith plus the, the law, sacraments, and good works. It's attained by Christ, says the gospel of grace. And for, for Rome, it's obtained, attained by man. 
at the moment a sinner believes the gospel, we, that's when salvation occurs. It's, uh, um, it's secured by God. Again, Rome says it's a process from baptism through purgatory, and it's, we're never assured of it in this life. The gospel of grace says sins are expiated by Christ's blood. Rome says sins are expiated by suffering and purgatory. Salvation, according to the gospel of grace, salvation glorifies God alone. For Rome, Mary and all the saints are also glorified. You ever notice how many, I mean, you look at a a Catholic calendar and there are so many feast days and days, a lot of them to Mary, but there's, there's a saint for every day that you pray to. And, you know, if you lose your, your, uh, keys or something. What is it? St. Anthony? I think he's the guy that you pray. St. Christopher? What is Anthony? Anthony's the throat, I think, or something. <laughs> but there's a saint for every little malady you might have that you can pray to. Um, and the work of salvation is finished. For Rome, the work continues with daily sacrifices. It just These are some questions that may help determine a Roman Catholic's eternal destiny. Are you sure of going to heaven when you die? Catholic teaching states that anyone who claims to have the assurance of salvation through God's power or mercy has committed the sin of presumption. Do you know what, righteous, what God's righteous justice demands for all sin? Catholic teachings state venial sins do not bring death to the soul or eternal punishment. Do you believe purgatory pur- purifies you of your sin. This belief denies the su- sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for the expiation of sin. I was listening to John MacArthur kind of wrapping this up um, on how to best witness to people that are trapped in these, loss, these law systems. And his, his advice was, you know, there's probably multiple ways you can do it, but go to John 3 and his dealing with Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was was a Pharisee and he was a legalist. You know, he he, uh, but he was asking questions. And he, I love I love it when Jesus says, um, "The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going." So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. How did I get saved? I don't know. I mean, I know I believe the gospel, but. How, why did the wind blow this way? Is, you know, it's, it's, in a, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's just like you, you believe in the gospel and you're saved. And it's like there's no work involved. It's not like that's a work. That's, that's something God enabled me to, to hear the gospel and believe. And nothing that, I, nothing that I did or that any of us have done... Um, can make us pat ourselves on the back. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's, it's kind of a good, he says start with verse, um, you know, verse 1 and go all the way to 21 um, in sharing, sharing that and, and just show them that, you know, give up the, give up the, the struggle, the, the trying to do this and this and this and this and this and, and, and going through the priest to, to get, you know, to get these sacraments and to get the grace of God to come into your life, you have to do. You have to go through these priests. Give that all up. Give it up. Just believe the gospel. <laughs> Sounds way too simple, but 
that's what it is. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, he. That would be a good one too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, sure. Here, let me take the mic. Life easier. Later. Oh. Editing. Go ahead. And Bob, too. I mean, Dan, I. In, uh, in Revelation 17 and 18, where, especially 18, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Would, would you say that's Rome? Woman of, like, Revelation 18, 17, uh, I do se- believe se- she's the woman that rides the beast, yes. Okay. Yep, yeah, Revelation 17, Rome. yeah. All right. Yeah, because it's, it's pretty descriptive of Rome. Well, I'm just going to close. I'll just close and pray, and then we can have a discussion. Bob, I don't know if you want to shut it off now. Go ahead. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that you open the eyes of Catholics to see that Jesus Christ of scriptures, Scriptures is all they need. He is all sufficient and greatly to be praised. We also ask you that you convict their hearts through the preaching of the gospel. We thank you for the gift of Bob and Eric and for their their love of the fellowship, for their protection of the flock. Lord, we we thank you for the messages that they work so hard on that glorify you. We just ask you to be with us as we go to our homes, we go to our communities. I know all of us more than likely know Roman Catholics and Lord, Give us a heart of compassion and love for them. Uh, maybe some of this that was presented tonight can be used to, to, to witness to those dear people. And we just ask, Lord, that you, again, as we said before, give us a fear of the scriptures in a, in a reverential way, but let us not fear man. Let us fear, let us not fear going to people and talking to them about these these matters. We see all the things happening in the world, Lord. We know that, you know, your your imminent return could happen at any day. And so we, we just need to be about the business of spreading the gospel. We praise you and honor you and we give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dan.